Hello and welcome to Learning from Legends with me, Peter Switzer. And this week, we catch up with Chairman and CEO of luxury watch and jewelry business, Kennedy. That's James Kennedy. James is a serial entrepreneur who has leveraged some of the most famous brands in the world to create a business not only has heavily leveraged into national events such as the Melbourne Cup Carnival, but has recently branched into TV with his first property program production called Lux Listing, which now streams worldwide on the Amazon Prime channel. I'm keen to understand the business, how it coped with the coronavirus, and what makes James tick. So let's go ahead and meet James Kennedy. Thanks for joining us on Learning From Legends. Thanks, Peter. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, did I get it right? Are you CEO nowadays, or have you given that, that tough job to somebody else? No, no, no. Still, uh, still in, still in the fray, mate. Um, I guess my official title these days, uh, cha chairman and CEO. Um, so yeah, no, still, still at the helm of the business and and enjoying every minute. Now, James, yeah, I, I've always identified Kennedy as being probably Australia's most prominent. Um, purveyor of quality watches and uh, but tell us the tell us really what Kennedy actually stands for for people who don't know precisely what the business does. Kennedy's a you know is, is primarily a, a watch and jewelry specific uh, retail group. Um, we are you know I guess a purveyor of, of luxury goods obviously as I said our focus sits with with watches and jewelry um, but as we progress our brand, you know, we, we consider ourselves curators of luxury, really. Um, and, you know, we've got uh, 14 locations across the country, a national footprint across Perth, Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and, you know, as you pointed out with our sponsorship with the VRC and, um, you know, and just trying to build our, our brand presence, um, you know, we, we, we're becoming um, a more prominent player in the space. Mm. What's the coronavirus been like for the company, mate? Look, I think we've got the the, the, the many of the same challenges um, as as uh, many businesses across the country, across the world. I guess from a uh, f firstly, I mean, I think we've got the um, the emotional and the physical element that we deal with with our with our staff. Um, you know, our, our, our stores, our suppliers, our business partners, you know, there's obviously, there is the human element, right? It's not just as simple as, you know, dollars and cents that, that we have to be mindful of. Um, you know, so I think for us, it's, you know, we've been in a fortunate position. I mean, luxury, luxury as a, as a, as a market has been actually quite resilient to, to the, to the Corona virus situation globally. Uh, a lot of the big, uh, a lot of the big, uh, big luxury house brands have, um, you know, they're, they're they're reporting record growth. They're reporting uh, even, uh, you know, e e even even higher and stronger numbers than pre-COVID levels. Uh, and that's a common theme that that's happening uh, across the market. Um, but I, I think for us, it was just about, you know. And I suppose that's a luxury of being, being sort of, uh, you know, I'm the owner and the operator of the company, so I can make decisions. I, I don't have the bureaucracy sometimes that companies might have to be able to make decisions. We had to move quick. We had to be nimble. You know, we had to make decisions. We 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 accelerated um, building an online presence, e-com. Um, you know, we had to pivot quickly towards, 
you know, virtual consultations and and the likes. Um, but the challenge, I guess, as well for us um, around, you know, being in luxury goods, is, is it's still very much a bricks and mortar business mm. more than anything. And uh, as much as the world is, has shifted to, to a digital age, um, I just think there's ultimately, you know, there's just those items that will always require a touch and a feel and a, you know, and a direct visibility over what you what you're buying. I mean, that's no different to, you know, with with all the online for houses, you still gonna have you still gonna have to you still have to have auctions. You're still gonna have people there. You're still gonna have open houses and viewings and 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 the likes. And 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 to be honest, a, a good example is the car industry. You know, for for all the the online opportunities for cars. Um, you know, how often ultimately someone is going to go buy a car that they see online without having it checked and the engine checked and the quality of the leather of the seats and, and all the very, you know, all the permutations that come with, with something like that. For me, luxury is very similar. Um, in addition, you've also got the, the, the point of people when they buy luxury goods are looking more for them. It's more than just the product. It's about the experience uh, that comes with it. Yeah. I always remember, uh, yeah, I don't know if you ever came across this story before, but, um, um, Martin Grunstein, great um, business speaker, talked about how when Lexus first came to Australia, uh, and clearly Lexus was the top-end version of uh, a Toyota, and uh, one of the, the best salespeople down there would um, talk to the uh, potential uh, customer as they went for drives and all that sort of stuff. But she would always ask some critical questions like, you know, what's your favourite music and all that sort of stuff. And when that person actually received the, the car uh, and was delivered, sitting on the seat was $200 worth of the person's favourite music. And that kind of touchy, feely experience, like the smell of a car when you get into it, all those sort of things are very hard to, to carry over to the online experience. And I'm, so I understand what you're talking about. But has your online sales growth increased, A, because you had to sort of push it, and B, people can't travel overseas, so they are spending on themselves. Have you seen any, any of that kind of rise in spending? Absolutely. The... Ultimately, there was always more money going out than there was coming in, if we talk about dollars being spent. So, you know, the, the fact that it can't be spent overseas because people can't go overseas me, means that it's going to be spent here. You know, I think um, – and what that's enabled us to do and what, I think why that sets us up better for the future of, okay, what does it look like once borders are reopened is – there's something to be said for the relationship in service in retail. And, you know, those customers that once upon a time wouldn't buy from us, not because there was an issue with us, they they just, they're, they're, they're more inclined to go and spend while they're traveling on holiday. Mm. Um, now that they've bought from us, they have that relationship with us. They have, you know, they have that relationship with the, with the manager or the sales associate that sits within the, uh, the boutique where they've made the purchase. So, you know, while we're not saying that 100% of the people that now shop with us are going to continue to shop with us and not going to and, and not going to go buy overseas at some point, I think what we're going to find is a good a good proportion of those people will we will retain uh, as customers, and then you actually get the top up from from when borders do open. So so my position probably is that well, whatever you lose, you're actually going to get back more then from the incoming um, yeah. than that there was once going out uh, originally. And I think another very important point 
and this is this is a critical piece for us when it comes to our uh, our digital uh, presence and, and our e-com. There's something to be said to the bricks and mortar presence when someone's going to trust you to buy their watch online from you. Mm. So yes, we've seen a steady increase. I mean, we only launched e-com as a, as a as a product. Um, I think towards September last year. So we've come out of you know the the, the real harsh elements, or certainly uh, not in Melbourne, but certainly other markets uh, had. So we only launched it, and it was a generally a soft sort of launch of e-com. We're just trying to build it up, and and, and month on month it's grown, and the start of this year has been fantastic. But it, but it's come as a result that in the end you're prepared to go and spend you know the thousands of dollars on a luxury timepiece because you trust the company, you've heard of the company, you've seen the company, and you know it's got that bricks and mortar presence where you sort of feel like, hey, if something happens, I know where to go. I've got a physical person I can go and see and talk to as opposed to some e-com platforms that don't have an identity beyond their e-com platform. Hmm. So uh, a lot of, um, we were talking about cars um, momentarily before, and they've had supply problems. Have you had supply problems because of, you know, the world's a very different place? No, we've been, we've been quite fortunate uh, in, in that regard. Uh, we, we did early days, so, you know, sort of a, that March, April last year when, when COVID first hit and it just took uh, the, the world by storm, uh, yes, yeah, supply, supply became, became an issue because, um, you know, the, the, whole, the whole concept of lockdowns was all new, so no one really knew what to make of it all. Um, but no, since that time, it's, it, it's been pretty steady. Um, and you know, the watch industry has always been very good at, at, at managing, at managing that supply and demand, um, part of its business. And, and, you know, we're in a fortunate place to say that, you know, supply and demand has been, has been pretty consistent and, and, and steady over the past sort of 12, 18 months. Okay. Um, uh, I, I know that when I go to the airport, or when I used to go to the airport, I'd see big Kelly signs everywhere. And they, they clearly are a significantly and well-placed advertisement because people fly and they buy and all that sort of stuff. Um, what's happened to that kind of marketing because of this coronavirus, uh, James? I look, that, that, that traditional above the line and, and, and you know, you, you, whether you look at outdoor, like at airports, or you look at print media, for example, uh, and even to some degree sponsorships, sports sponsorships are also, you know, a big part of that communication. And obviously that's taken taken a hit as well because, you know, it's uh, there might be more eyeballs on broadcast now than, than there once was. But, you know, you don't have the people at events, you know, what is, what is the capacity, what is the now situation of those eyeballs that are sitting and watching uh, the broadcast content. Um, yeah, I, I think probably where, where it's pushed us and and that's not to say there isn't a renaissance back to, I mean, it's it's hard to see what what does it look like going back? Yeah. You know, do, do we ever go back? Um, you know, and if we do, to what extent do we go back? But, you know, I, I think it's just to my earlier point, you know, you're faced with a challenge, you've got to pivot, you've got to adjust, you can't you fold up the table and go home. It's pushed us in a direction, you know, look, we, we as a company were always thinking digital. We were always thinking e-com. That was always uh, part of our plan. Um, COVID just accelerated everything. It, 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 it drew the focus away from, um, 
everything else on okay well, what do we do to to manage through this through this time so you know i i think in regards to how we communicate and how we promote um i think digital is is an ever more increasing part of that and when i say digital i i, I speak differently to omnichannel so e-com having a digital presence to drive traffic by way of example to a bricks and mortar um, offering is still a highly critical part of what we do. So um, I think, okay, maybe we, we might not see as much in the way of billboards at the airport, um, but, you know, this, this consumption of content, um, you know, is something that's, that's so dramatic. Uh, and whether it's TV shows, movies, you know, uh, I mean, look at the world we live in now where basically, you know, uh, box office movies are coming. You can watch them now at home as opposed to having to go to the cinema. The scarlet your hands uh, is complaining about that at the moment. Yeah, I saw. I did. I, I did. I did see that, and that's a common theme. Um, yeah. You know, where where the streamers are buying the rights to, and 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 sort of showcasing for people to to be able to watch it in the comfort of their own home. So I, I think also the the consumption of communication has shifted to to a much more digital presence than than it once was before. So um, that's probably. Where, where our focus is and, and, and what we're trying to to improve. Um, but as I said, you've always got to pivot to what's in front of you, right? So if we end up shifting back towards, you know, the, the above the line advertising and outdoor print, you know, outdoor and print and so on, then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll always be nimble enough to be able to, to make those decisions. Okay. It's funny as you're talking about different forms of communication and we know, you know, naked advertising has become really popular in the, the digital space. And and I, I watched your your recent TV program. So it's called it's called Lux Lux Listings. Lux Listings. And it's on yep. Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. So it's an Amazon it's an Amazon Prime show. Uh, we were involved in it uh, in effect, effectively conceptualizing it. So we, we developed it. Um, and and then basically sold it to, to, to Amazon, um, who alongside Eureka is their production company, have, have delivered uh, yeah, a really, really great um, great show, great reality show, and, and really a quality piece of content, which which I'm super pleased about. Yeah, so I've, I've seen, I've, I, we watched it last week, I think we rolled to at least three episodes, and because they're, they're quite sneaky. Not telling you what happened to the auction results, so you, you need to see it. And it's, of course, yeah, it was great. It's, it's exactly what I was doing. And of course, as you know, James, you know, these are high-end real estate players, and some people will love love them because they're high flyers. Some people will, will hate them because they're wankers. But it was fantastic television. And thank uh, you. Yeah, and yeah. so I, so it's, it's certainly and and I didn't think about it at the time because I, as I I knew you were, you were behind it. They're all wearing fantastic watches, if I remember. <laughs> oh, I'm going to tell you that's that's absolutely by coincidence. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, that, 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 I hadn't that. thought of it at the time until I was doing the interview. I was like, those guys were wearing fantastic watches. <laughs> yeah, no, they they were probably uh, customers uh, previously, and it just happened to be that. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, we 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 handpicked um, the cast, and and we were really excited. Um, you know, I, I've known all three of them personally, as as I mentioned it, 
Um, earlier on, you know, I grew up in Sydney, uh, obviously residing in Melbourne now and been here for, for over a decade. But, um, you know, Gavin, Simon, Delina, I, I, I knew them from, you know, my early 20s, my youth. Yeah. Um, although I'm still, I'm still young, but nevertheless, I'm not 20 anymore. Um, so I've known them a long time and, and, and sort of when I came up with the idea of, uh, and, it, and it was interesting, it was just an idea. I, I was um, watching Million Dollar Listing early days uh, just at home and, and, and thought, it's just, oh, geez, it's good content. I like this show. And, 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 and um, never understood why Sydney, I mean, Sydney's such an incredible property market just in general yeah. anyway, and I never understood why, why, why it just wasn't. Uh, and, and I think it had been attempted a few times. Um, but it just ne- never got up off the ground, and and then you know took took that idea and and, and partnered up with a colleague of mine, um, created Kentel. I mean, I've 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 had a, a desire now to sort of evolve my media. Well, I've created a media business. I'm not going to evolve the media business, you know. I've I've uh, so I developed Kentel off the back of of uh, of this show idea and. You know, and created the sizzle and put the pitch doc together and and took all the necessary steps and. You know, we were fortunate enough first time out to, to sell our first sort of development to, you know, arguably what is now probably one of the biggest streamers in the world in, in Amazon Prime. And, you know, it's been, it's been a fantastic um, evolution for us and, and, and then establishing Kentel and taking, I guess, what, what we witnessed or what we experienced in, in the past uh, 12, 18, 24 months with developing Lux listings with, with Amazon. Um, and the way the world today, right? We discussed it earlier. The, the 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 amount of content that's being consumed now, just because of the state of play with with the world the world today, um, there's just more opportunities. So you know, I was pleased to announce um, Jackie Feeney coming on, who's ex uh, ex uh, Foxtel and and Nat Geo um, head, and 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 she's come on now as CEO of Kentel and. He's, he's working pretty hard to, to I guess, really take take Kentel to the next step and develop the next Lux listings, for, for lack of a better term. Yeah, so so you see this as being a profit centre in its own right, James, or do you see it as a, a marketing leverage thing to help the, 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 um, the mothership, namely Kemp Kennedy? Uh, no, they're, they're very much in isolation, uh, Pete. The... Um, you know, I've got many, many personal interests, and and I like business in general, and um, and you know whether it's in retail, media, or, or, or you know, I guess any industry, you know, you're always looking for an opportunity, and sometimes opportunities you're not even looking for; they just sort of present themselves, and uh, and that's the case here. Um, I just had an idea to create a TV show, and that was sort of the extent of it, and then. Um, you know, then it morphs into something else. So, you know, Kentel's a standalone business. It's it's not really uh, in any way associated with Kennedy. It's got, um, you know, it's got its own infrastructure. It, it runs independently from Kennedy. We're not really looking to leverage, um, you know, other than my association with both both companies, there, there isn't really much in the way of cross-leverage, I suppose. Hmm. Um, that's not to say they wouldn't be, but... Um, that's not the intent. It, it's really me looking at, okay, well, I've got my luxury retail organisation on this side and you now I'm looking to build a media business on the other. Okay, let's go to another area where you've had a lot of interest and that is, you know, the racing fraternity. And I can remember... That's not a profit centre, I can assure you. 
I can remember as, as a when you were a young man, and I was obviously younger. Uh, we were in the same tent in the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> the thrifty had, tent. It was the thrifty tent. I absolutely do not forget that story. You, and you got the you got the, the trifecta of the Melbourne Cup, didn't you? I, I, did. I, I did. That was a good year. That was uh, <clears throat> Maccabi Diva's first win mm. uh, of of her three. Uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a fun day. Yeah, I've always always had a passion for racing, Pete, and um, <clears throat> have a love. I love animals and and I love horses and and yeah, just just sort of put together an idea. Um, I've got to watch all my my ideas sometimes. <laughs> they sometimes get away from me. But uh, yeah, look, I I, I wanted to build a, a racing business. I wanted to build something that was centered around the welfare and care for animals. Um, you may or may not know that I, that I engaged um, the world, world renowned horse whisperer, um, Monty Roberts from um, California, who was, uh, who interestingly, the movie, the horse whisperer with uh, Robert Redford was based yeah. on, on, on this, this gentleman's life. Yeah. Uh, so I engaged with him to help me effectively build a racing stable um, Fast forward, we're, we're two and a half, getting on three years into it. Um, we've, had, we've had pretty reasonable success. Um, and, and for me, that's more passion. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm not doing it for the money per se to, to make money. It's, it's, I'd like it to make money, of course. And, and I don't want it to be, um, you know, if it can be cash flow neutral, I'd be okay with that as well. Um, but it is more that in particular is more of a passion project for me. Just my love of racing and horses and 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 the like. So, um, and again, to to my earlier point, you know, they're, they're three different industries, right? That I'm in being in retail and media and and, and now uh, and also and then in racing sports, I suppose. Um, but I do consider them all to run in isolation to each other, and um, and I think that's important for 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 for, for these businesses to have their own identity. But James, you've made a big investment in marketing through um, racing as well. Your association with the the VRC Carnival, the Melbourne Cup Carnival, mm. always seemed well. You obviously spend a lot of money. You can't get that kind of exposure unless you do. No. So has it been a has it been a productive one to to grow the Kennedy brand? Uh, absolutely, mm. uh, absolutely, it has, and, and we've. Uh, invested further, so so I earlier this year bought a bought a slot in the Everest, which is the uh, the Sydney or uh, Turf's richest race, um, yeah. which is which is in Randwick. That was an important play because you know the VRC and the Melbourne Cup Carnival is so Melbourne centric, mm. despite it being a national product. Yeah. Um, so it was important. I mean, our footprint in, in in Sydney is the same as it is in in Melbourne. Um, so <clears throat> it was important for us to 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 try to push into that market a bit more. Um, as a marketing tool, I love sponsorship, um, both in regards to the brand awareness that you get from it, um, uh, but also the reputational integrity piece that you get from partnering with, um, you know, quality organisations, whether it be the, the VRC or the Australian Turf Club, um, or, you know, I've had previous partnerships with the AFL as well. And that probably goes to my earlier point. Again, when you're looking at, you know, someone saying, well, am I going to spend X amount of dollars on a watch from this online retailer? Again, that sense of comfort that someone will get from, oh, okay, I've seen that shop. I know that business. You know, they they work with the VRC. They work with the AFL. 
you know, so that there's a lot of those those components that I that I think are, are important. Um, but the other critical piece for us is the entertainment factor. So, you know, luxury retail is absolutely a service first component. It's a service first offering. So, you know, engaging with our customers, entertaining them, giving them an opportunity, um, you know, to to enjoy something beyond just coming into a store and, and buying a product is a big part of our business. And, and that's exactly what uh, activations and sponsorships such as, um, you know, the VRC uh, do for us. Okay. Have you have you nominated the horse in the Everest yes or, or you're, you're keeping your powder dry? Uh, look, at the moment, I'm uh, keeping the cards close to the chest. Uh, look, the dream would be to have one of my own. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure if I have one yet. Um, but again, I, and I also think, um, you know, horse racing is a, is a funny sport. It's uh, very form driven, you know, um, horse, horses are very much like people in that regard. If they're not interested in running, they're not interested in running. Um, but when they're up and about and they're on their toes and, um, so look, as we get closer, um, we'll start to make some decisions. We're having conversations of course, but, but, you know, to be honest, I, I want to see what horses are doing leading into that race. You know, it's, it's, it's the Everest, it's a, you know, it's, it's the world's richest sprint race and, and you, you know, you, you don't want a horse going in there cold. So you're going to want to see what, uh, what their performance and how they're tracking with the lead up races going into it. And, and I guess that's the benefit I've got, right. That I, I'm not in a rush uh, and I can make the decision, you know, as, as close to, I guess, the, the deadline as possible. Mm. Do, do you actually, what is your, your best horse that might, might be a possibility? Do you have one earmarked at this point in time? Oh, look, I mean, I think probably the standout that I have uh, is a filly by the name of Written Miss. Uh, she had a – she's a very fragile little thing and you have to take very, very special care of her. But um, she won her first three starts. She's a super fast, super fast horse. And, uh, you know, she she might be a chance, but – but. Um, but other than that, you know, again, it's that that idea of form, you know, who's coming back from their spell, what's their spring campaign going to look like? Uh, and even to be honest, just thinking now about, you know, travel. How do we get horses to Sydney? Can we get the team to go with the horses? What's that going to mean? Um, so, again, you sort of pivot back to this whole, you know, living in a COVID world and what does all that mean and how do you, how do you function? Uh, in that environment so um, but even if she's not up for it I still love her and um, there's plenty of sprint races for her in uh, for her in Victoria. Back on the TV show will it be shown overseas and effectively make you an exporter? Uh, well again it, it sits with Amazon uh, it, it, it is being streamed globally as of now uh, I had friends uh, reach out to me uh, from LA and other parts of the US who who said, oh, you know, we saw we saw your show and so on. Um, you know, a Amazon's a global streamer, so they're, they're, when they're buying Australian content or, or US content or French content, um, you know, they they have that 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 ability to be able to stream really content on on a on a global scale. And and I think that's um, you know what they've done here with Lux listings. And you know, from all reports, it's um, not only a hit here, but it's a uh, I hit in many other markets. Okay. One last question. You are an entrepreneur. You, 
you take the punch, you been two ways, more ways than one, but you 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 you, know, you roll the dice on trying to grow a business and doing things unusually. Who or what has been the greatest influence on you in in terms of building a business and doing it successfully? Um, oh, look, I, I wouldn't say that, that, that there's any one individual. Um, you know, my, I mean, my father was a great businessman. Um, and, and I don't know if I've told you the story that, that he, he started Glomesh, um, the yeah. business in, in Australia a long time ago. He, he was a great businessman, um, uh, but, but he died. I was still sort of late 20s. Uh, I, I um, was still pretty green at that time. And, you know, so I probably didn't get that same opportunity that, that, that others might get from, from, from a, from having a father um, that that could, uh, you know, guide a little bit. So, um, you know, pr- pr- pretty much, mate, I've, I've been on my own doing it for, 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 for a long time, for the whole time, um, and, and that's challenging at times. And, and to your point, you know, you that roll of the dice, um, you're either up for it or you're not, and, and you've got to be prepared. Um, n- not everything's going to go your way. Um, but you know, if you, if you want to press the envelope, well, that's by definition, you've got to press, right. And, um, you know, you, 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 you take the good with the bad and you, you take the punches and you, 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 you just have to keep pressing forward, right. Tomorrow's another day. The sun's going to come up the sun's going to go down and then you you can have another crack at it again. So, um, you know, for me, for me, I just want to sort of take, make, make, make it on my own in that regard. I want to sort of set my own path and find my own way. And, um, and mistakes are great. I love making them. Uh, maybe not in the moment, but I think they are critical, critical to, uh, to success because, you know, I, I always say you, you don't know what you're doing until you, you, don't, until you know what not to do. Good point. Um, James Kennedy, thanks for joining us in the program. Thanks, Peter. And that was James Kennedy from Kennedy. If you want to grow your riches, check out my Switzer Report at switzerreport.com.au. And you can also see my TV program, Switzer Investing. Just go to Switzer Financial Group plus YouTube to catch the latest show where we look at the afterpay buyout story and if that will be good for Zip as a stock. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. I'm Peter Switzer. Quentin Time! Quentin Time! Thank you.